live from Mexico. This is the fan Weirdom Shorts NATO. I'm doing another episode without Shorts. Shorts will be back soon. But today I am joined by Lawrence Nahum and Ben Kaufman. We ran into each other here and Lawrence told me Lawrence is working on a new, well, you're working on a hardware wallet. And I figured, you know what, I've actually never, Shorts and I have never done an episode on hardware wallets. So maybe this is a good opportunity to just keep it going. The other reason it's, well, first, okay, let's, Lawrence, introduce yourself, please. Let's start there. All right, um, Lawrence uh, Nehom, uh, Chief Architect of the Blockstream. I worked on uh, various software wallets and now Jade had a wallet. Yeah, the green wall, the blockchain green wallet. Yep. That was your main project before this. Yeah. And now you're working on the Jade hardware wallet, also a blockchain pro- product. Yeah. Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Ben Kaufman. I'm working on Spectre wallet. Um, yeah, it's uh, a way to use your Bitcoin core node with hardware wallets, basically all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so I wanted to do a, a, an episode on hardware wallets and I've never really... Personally, I've never really written extensively about hardware wallets, like the trade-offs there are, and there is some, you know, debate and discussion on what are, you know, the best hardware wallets or what are the best trade-offs to make. And so it, I figured if I'm going to do this episode with a developer of one hardware wallet, I kind of want to have a neutral expert sitting next to me to kind of tell me if, Lawrence, if you're overselling everything like you always do. Everyone knows <laughs> that you... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's that's Ben is gonna be my sort of sidekick expert today. So if Laura, yeah, I'll have questions for you here and there. If I, if I don't understand something or if Lawrence is uh, you know overselling is, I will watch him. Ben, ben. I'll be watching him. And, and it's very cool to have you on as well, Lawrence, because um, when uh, Shorts and I started our podcast, so you also do the Records Review podcast, right? So, yes, we do. The- so when Shorts and I, when we started our podcast, we were sort of um, making uh, benchmarks for ourselves, but we didn't want to disappoint ourselves. So we figured, all right, our podcast needs to be at least as good as Records Review. So we set it like the lowest bar very, possible. Very bar, yeah. So there's no way we could fail. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's great you're on as well. All right, let's start with uh, a, a very basic question. Guys, what is a hardware wallet? Why why do people use hardware wallets, or what are they, what are they for? Um, I'll start. Yeah. Um, and and maybe before I say what a hardware wallet is, I'll say what a wallet is. A wallet is um, just some piece of software that holds um, your private keys and uh, together with those it signs your transactions and maybe generates addresses and so on. So hardware wallet, it's just like a software wallet, but uh, it has a much smaller surface of attack. So it's a device that is dedicated to one thing. So unlike your mobile where you can, you know, read the news, download video games, watch movies, and so on. A hardware wallet does just one thing, and, and that's, you know, signing transactions, showing addresses, and, and so on. And, um, yeah. I think one big benefit, but correct me if I'm wrong, that goes for both of you, is that a hardware wallet isn't connected to the internet, and therefore it can be hacked by outside parties in that way, at least. Is that, is, would you agree that's a main benefit or no? I, I don't agree in the sense that ultimately your laptop is connected to the internet and your hardware wallet is connected to your laptop. Right, at I some mean, point your hardware wallet is going to hit the internet at, at di- least, indirectly. At least that's the most common case. I mean, some people use uh, offline laptops and so on, and you can definitely do that, but there's, uh, there's some work involved. And, uh, well, sometimes, you know, some devices use cable, some devices uh, support cable as well as uh, Bluetooth, some devices uh, support um, SD cards, and some devices maybe use QR code. But even those are still like uh, a way to, to, to get, say, potentially uh, code on, on, on those devices and, and maybe attack them. So if the main benefit is that it's a single purpose computer, it, it, that's how you explain it, I think, right? If, if I summarize it in like one sentence, it's a one purpose computer, why is that actually a good thing then? Why is that a benefit? Why is that something people want it, it's, it's or should want? It's because uh, it's not just a, a single-purpose computer. It, it's it's a small single-purpose computer that has been hardened um, to to minimize, um, you know, what you can do with it, and 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 thus there's less surface of attack. So the more software, the more bugs. The more bugs, the more security issues. Uh, because it's single-purpose, it has less 
code, less software, and, and so less um, less bug. But also, uh, depending on the manufacturer, it may have uh, some different kind of hardening. So um, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll like we'll get into that in a bit. First, mm -hmm. Ben, do you agree with this? Is this yeah, the main benefit I of hardware wallets? I, I would say so. Uh, I think not being connected to the to the internet is just one part of of this reducing the the attack surface. So it's a very important one, but there is a lot more into it. Uh, so it's not just not connected to the internet. It's also uh, that it's very much um, minimized, like. Everything that you don't really need uh, is just not there anymore. Yeah, so th there's just le less risk if there's yeah. less stuff, mm -hmm. right? So let's get into some hardware wallets. Um, we'll get into the Jade wallet in a bit, but but let's discuss some some of the trade-offs that hardware wallets have made over the years because there are different designs of hardware wallets. Um, the first hardware wallet was Trezor. So how does Trezor, for example, work? Why is that secure or why is that not secure? Maybe that's your opinion. Um, yeah, so Trezor is um, a USB device. Uh, there's, there's a two, I think, now. Uh, Trezor T and Trezor 1. Um, but basically, it's a small computer, a small device. I think it has a chip called the ST32 uh, from ST Electronics. I think it's a French company. Um, and yeah, they, they designed uh, some firmware in C, um, you know, that, that uh, drives the display and listens to button events. Maybe, maybe in case someone doesn't know, what is firmware? What, firmware is, what is, is that actually? for hardware. Yeah, it's software specifically designed for a piece of hardware. Yes, right. and uh, usually, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think usually like it, it goes without operating system and it's like bare bone to the, to the iron, to the hardware. To the metal. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, not in all hardware wallets, but yes, most of them. Right. So a Trezor is a piece of hardware with a piece of firmware, and that firmware secures your private keys and can be used to sign transactions, usually through another wallet, like Spectre, for example. Mm -hmm. And Green supports uh, Trezor, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you broadcast that to the Bitcoin network. That's how it works. So the, the main purpose is that it secures your keys in that sense. Now, I think one of the trade-offs of Trezor, so it it's usually work, like it's secure in that sense until someone gets a hold of your actual Trezor. I think that's, uh, is that sort of one of the trade-offs or one of the problems there? Not necessarily. So uh, Trezor is open source, uh, the, the firmware is open source. I think the hardware uh, is also open source, or at least yes. used to be. From what I know, it's open source. And um, and yeah, it, it has some. Um, it tries to you know prevent extraction of keys and and you know uh, unless you know the the pin or the passphrase, it, it prevents you from using it. Um, but basically, unless you use a passphrase, uh, it doesn't have physical security because uh, a number of independent. Uh, companies or people manage to extract the, the secret, the private keys, the seed, the mnemonic. Yeah, physical security is what I yeah. refer to, like if you actually get the device in your hand. Mm -hmm. Unless unless it has a strong password, in which case you 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 can't. You can extract the, the, the mnemonic, but then without the passphrase, you cannot get the keys. Yeah, let's let's separate that out real quick. We mentioned a, so there's a pin. Every hardware wallet usually has a pin code. You just need to put the pin in, yeah. Um, but, and then there's the private keys to, you know, you, so you need a pin to unlock the private keys basically. But if you get it, the actual, uh, sorry, and then there's the passphrase, which you mentioned. Yeah. So if you use a passphrase, which is just a password or just a long version of a password. It needs to be strong. If it's like in a dictionary, then it's trivial to brute force. Yeah, so if, if you have a treasure and someone uses it with a passphrase, then it's, as secure as the passphrase, at least. The problem yeah. is sort of that the pin doesn't provide the security in case of a physical attack. Am, am I saying this right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, so how would this physical attack, like, how does it work? Or is that even known? Or um, Basically, um, you, you open the, the case of the treasure and uh, you, in, in Jergo, it's called the glitch. You, you glitch it. There's various kind of uh, glitches. Uh, power glitches is one. 
um, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, an expert in the sense that I've never teached hardware or never done this. But basically, yeah, you... Uh, I also heard that sometimes they use laser uh, to glitch um, treasure. Um, and by glitching it, you, um, you basically change the instructions. Um, and if you time it right, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it works really well and, and you can bypass the, the beam protection, for example. Right. And you can extract the, the seed. Right. So that's the main downside of Trezor. The main upside, I think, and you did mention this, but I want to make this more clear, is that it's completely open source. So we know exactly what the device is doing, what the firmware is doing, how it all works. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Right. And then, okay, so that's Trezor. And that's sort of, I think, and that's why, that's one of the reasons I mentioned Trezor as first. I think that's sort of on one end of that spectrum, of the sort of security trade-off spectrum, is that it's all open source, you know exactly what it's doing, but if someone gets their hand on the actual device and didn't use a strong passphrase, then it can be extracted in the way you just explained. So that's sort of one end of the spectrum. And then, as I understand it, on the other end of the spectrum, there's something like Ledger, which uses a secure chip, I believe. A secure element. Is secure, yeah, so how does this work? Well, it, it's a chip that has extra protection, um, both in terms of glitching and um, in terms of... Uh, All sorts of non-attacks, basically. Uh, whatever it's decapping uh, uh, the, the chip, whatever it's glitching it, whatever it's tempering it with temperature or whatever you can do. So maybe, maybe I should first ask, and maybe you were answering that question, but just to make the question very clear then, what is a secure element? Why is it secure? Why is it even called that? It, what is it? It's, it? it's a chip like the same that Trezor uses, but it has extra protection. So um, Ben was talking about uh, capping or uncapping. That's the process of removing uh, layer by layer the, the material until you can actually see um, uh, the, what secrets, it's doing. the secrets of the, of, of the chip. And um, secure elements tend to have uh, extra protection against that. So that um, basically, it's very hard to use like a, a electronic microscope to to read into into the chip, uh, say the flash to extract the key or whatever. Uh, it, I think I'm not you know again an expert on this, but I believe it has like a little uh, like an electrical net that will destroy as soon as you. It will prevent you from reading, and if you try to move it, it will destroy the circuit, mm -hmm. something like that. Right. It's essentially a tamper-proof chip. But then, but but then, but then it comes. Usually, the, those chips come with NDAs or in any in, in any capacity. It's um, like the tool chain. Often, it's not uh, available to third parties unless they sign the NDA or it's not open source and so on. Mm -hmm. That's usually the, the downside. Yeah. So that's the a, that's a trade off there. So the benefit is because of this secure element, this physical attack cannot be done. Well, you, you they, they can. It's a matter of price. So maybe with Trezor. Um, I heard that you can get equipment for say two hundred dollars to extract uh, mm -hmm. the key um, with secure elements. And is that sorry? Is that software or it's what? hardware? It's, oh, it's some actual hardware, hardware tools. Yes, but yeah. it's very cheap. Yeah, it, it used to be more expensive, but basically it's it's some hardware that allows you to glitch it uh, at the right time so that you know some instructions get executed Got or it. don't get executed. And that kind of hardware does not exist for the secure element, or no, it, it exists does. but it's just way more expensive. Is basically, that I don't, I mean, um, it exists, it's way more expensive to extract because you're going to have far more failures. And, um, you know, maybe we're talking about $200 uh, for Trezor, maybe we're talking about $200,000 for Ledger, or maybe even $2 million for Ledger. Mm -hmm. And um, even then it's much less guaranteed that you will manage to do that. It's way more uh, risky because it's tamper-proof. Yeah, because the thing is, you don't care about, like sometimes you, you, you care about extracting something from secure element chips and if you burn one you don't care because you, you can you know buy more and try until you succeed um, but in case of a bitcoin wallet you, you do care about succeeding on that specific wallet that has the coins otherwise you know you don't really care about breaking an empty wallet mm -hmm. right so because of the secure element it's much more expensive to extract the mnemonic that's always the word i'm struggling with mnemonic thank, thank you yes. thank you lawrence that's much, yeah, or the private keys, yeah. basically. Yeah, so that's much harder to subtract. The trade-off is that you don't know exactly what the chip is doing. Is that is that it? Um, that's no, part of it, I would say. 
but but even with the other chip, uh, like ST thirty two, I mean, it's not open source. It's not open the chip source. itself, it's, uh, I mean, the, the chip of uh, all the hardware wallets out there is an open source. I think Trezor is working on an open source chip. Uh, yes. In fact, maybe an open source secure element. Yes. But um, uh, basically, all the chips out there are currently not open source. The spec may be open, uh, and the tool chain may be open, but not always. Like for secure element, it tends to be closed, and it tends to be covered by NDA. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is the problem with that then exactly, in your own words? Well, that um, if there is a problem with it, for example, with Trezor, there's a few clones, and and uh, if someone has uh, somewhat basic, um, you know, electronic skills, they, they can build one themselves uh, and flash the firmware themselves and and whatnot. With, with you, you mean you mean if, if someone else wants to sell hardware wallets, it's very easy for them to take Trezor's firmware, their work, and sell. Hardware was yourself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's there's plenty of Trezor clones, and but, but in that's fact, even Coldcard um, uses um, um, firmware that uh, originates from Trezor in terms of, uh, you know, they forked it from Trezor early on, and, and then they moved on. Right, but I'm interested in what are the problems for users. What, why is it for a user for me if I want to secure my private keys? Why is it the problem for me to use a secure element, or is it not a problem for me to use that? I would say it's mostly that they are covered by NDAs usually, um, and they're closed source mostly, uh, which adds to you know it adds to the obscurity and risk uh, in terms of you are not necessarily knows what the stuff is doing. So sometimes it can be with with the chips too and like normal, but this basically just adds another layer where you don't know what uh, things are what's going on. So what's the worst that could be going on then? Mm -hmm. Well, so for example, uh, each hardware wallet has a random number generator, and uh, um, you know maybe the keys generated are all known by ledger. Now, this could, it's also possible with, with Trezor, to be honest, because the chip uh, used by uh, by Trezor could do that. So it could be you know hidden in hardware. But my point previously was like, if I wanted to and forget about um, you know commercializing, I could build a Trezor from scratch mm -hmm. and flash it and, and use it. At a ledger, I simply couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, but that's the commercial argument. I'm still interested. No, 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 no. It's, it's even for build it like, like DIY, yourself, like a DIY. Yes. Oh, just as a matter of better Extra understanding security. what it's doing and right. Also, in that security uh, in both terms of supply chain attacks. So it's if you're building it your own, there is much less risk in that, and also um, in terms of the of the hardware security. So if like uh, uh, Trezor would want to execute some uh, retirement attack and hide something in the chip, then if you're building it yourself, you cannot really do that. Right, got it. Is it going to be summarized into saying the secure elements require more trust? Is it? Is that to some extent? I would mm. say yes. So you, 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 it requires some more trust in the wallet mm -hmm. developer to an extent. Yeah, yeah. And well, and the manufacturer of, of the manufacturer of, 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 yes. of the chips themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a quick break from that episode. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor. It is Bitcoin 2022 conference. I am sure you saw the videos. You may have been there in person. Bitcoin 2021 was an absolute smashing success. It was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history, crypto history, whatever history of the digital asset sphere. Bitcoin is number one, and the Bitcoin 2021 conference is number one with a bullet. It was an absolutely incredible time. I was working my ass off the whole time, but I got to meet so many incredible community members. And I think the best testament to how amazing Bitcoin 2021 was, was not just all of the amazing you know, accolades and, uh, and compliments that I got personally and our team got, but also it's the skin in the game in Bitcoin 2022. We have already sold close to 1,500 tickets. That is more than 10% of the people, everyone who went to Bitcoin 2021 have already purchased tickets to Bitcoin 2022. We have not released a date. We have not released a city. We have not released anything. That is the biggest compliment. That is the biggest skin in the game of the community being down for this conference. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than Bitcoin 2021. It's going to be better than Bitcoin 21 in every single way. And we are going to be bringing you the best opportunity to mingle with the biggest, the baddest, the most Bitcoin people on the planet. 
So join the revolution. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. I don't know what the ticket prices are. They are going up. I think they're $249 right now. We just rolled out fiat ticket uh, purchases. All the tickets purchased before today were all purchased in BTC. So get it, guys. Get it. Get this ticket. Be at Bitcoin 2022. See you there. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you guys about the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a new premium newsletter from the Bitcoin Magazine team in conjunction with my man, BTCization, Dylan LeClaire. Dylan is such a multifaceted and wide-ranging analyst. He does everything from on-chain analytics to macro uh, analysis to uh, you know hash rate and all that kind of good stuff. He does it all. He breaks down everything that's happening every single day with his daily dive. He's going to dive into what is happening in the market that day. So that way you don't have to pay attention to Twitter. You don't have to pay attention to anything else. You can just pay attention to the deep dive and he has you covered. And at the end of the week, guess what? You get a weekly recap. And at the end of the month, hey, we have a freaking report, a beautiful PDF breaking down all the activity of that entire month, what it means for Bitcoin, what you can expect moving forward. The Bitcoin market is going to moon. We are here to make sure that we maximize your stack. Go to members.bitcoinmagazine.com to sign up today. And if you use promo code BITS, you can get one month for free. So again, the deep dive, I've been checking it out every day and you should too. Back to the show. So that's, I think that these are sort of the two polar opposites or the two extremes within the hardware wallet space a little bit. On the one hand, you have Trezor that is completely open source in all its ways, uh, but that comes with a trade-off that a physical tech is possible and then, or at least, you know, affordable, I guess. And then on the other end, you have Ledger, which has a secure element, which is therefore uh, not as or it's much more expensive to perform a physical tech on, but it requires some level of trust on the wallet provider and the developers and, and it's only partially open source like ledger has some open source parts but uh mm-hmm. um, it's only partially open source yeah was the when you agree this was sort of the yeah fair enough in that sense yes right uh, at least from that aspect yes okay so then there are other hardware wallets uh before we get to jay let's discuss one other hardware wallets is the cold card cold card yeah, they have a security model that sits in between of these two kind of, polar yes. opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has two chips. And um, so Trezor Ledger uses a chip, uh, I said, called um, SD. I mean, from a company called SD. Um, I believe that uh, Coldcard has uh, one chip from SD and one chip from Atmel. Uh, the SD is uh, almost the same as Trezor, if not the same as Trezor. It's uh, an SD32 or something like that. Um, while the Atmel is um, a secure chip. It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, some people call it a secure element, some people call it a secure chip, um, but it's not used, unlike Ledger, it's not used to sign transaction. It's only used almost as a black box to hold the keys uh, uh, against your pin. And uh, if you get the pin wrong, uh, I don't know how many times it will delete the, the secret. So when you get so, the pin right, it will provide the key to the other chip. The, the chip will do whatever it needs to do while Trezor style mm-hmm. uh, until it's powered or until you like uh, log out, say, of, of, uh, of the wallet. And then, um, and then you know, it will, it will disappear from memory and, and will be protected by this Atmel. Right. So two, so two chips. One of them is pretty regular, same yep. as what something like Trezor uses. Yeah. And the other is more like what Ledger uses? No, so not quite. Not quite. But the, the important thing is that in Ledger model, the, all the operations for signing transactions happening on the secure element itself. Uh, on the call card, it's not happening on the secure chip. It's happening on the normal chip. The only thing the secure chip is used for is storing the, the keys themselves, but they are getting loaded into the, the other chip while the call card is actually in use. Yeah, yeah, no, that I got. But but you also mentioned the secure element isn't quite as secure, or where do I, how do I think about that then? Or is it just a secure element that does less? I mean, in, in principle, you could say it's a secure element that does less. I heard of it as a secure chip, but not exactly a secure element. And... Um, so another thing that secure elements tend to do 
uh, and, and the code that you run on it is very important as well, is that um, it, it makes it harder to extract the key by means of uh, listening. So at some point, um, someone was trying to extract the private key from a treasure by signing lots of times and trying to capture, because um, it wasn't a constant time code, so uh, signing different things uh, meant that it would take you know different lengths and of time, and and that is enough information to eventually extract the, the private key. Um, and secure element tend to uh, have uh, not only hardware accelerators for crypto, but also um, you know tend to leak less in terms of uh, you know electromagnetical um, mm -hmm. information. Right. So in any case, in the calls cards, there. Are two chips and one of the chip which is sort of the secure elements in this case in, in, in the sense that we just discussed and that just holds the private keys does it generate the private keys i think with cold card you have various way you can generate the private keys even with coins or dice or like externally um, i'm not sure which chip they use between the two to create the, the you know the private keys you know I'm not ben? sure about the initial randomness, but uh, they also offer you to yeah to use uh, dice rolls. I think. So, is um, there what kind of trust is there? Is if any, is there still trust involved there? Is like what would be the worst case scenario there then if the secure elements turns out to not be secure or turns out to be backdoored? Are there? There do, is do always. You can, there can always be a bad, even if the the mnemonic is completely random and it's not like backdoored, like the generation of the mnemonic itself. Uh, it is still possible, for example, to leak some of the of the private key information while signing Bitcoin transactions. Uh, and for people, it will look like noise. Only for the guy who put the backdoor, he will be able to to actually read that. Uh, so there is always some risk, I would say. Uh, but usually it's 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 not I would not say it's a very high risk usually. You think the risk compared to for example the ledger, you know, polar that side, you think the risk is in fact is diminished by using two separate chips? No, I think it's more or less the same in, in that sense, I would say. Uh, from from that aspect. I think it's more or less the same. I I would say it sits in the middle between um, Treasure and Ledger, mm -hmm. like I think Ledger is a little bit more secure, um, but it's a nice design because you can keep the rest open source and this mm -hmm. chip is not used for almost anything other than securing the, the mnemonic. Obviously the chip could have some errata or some bugs or some other problem that, that allows to bypass the, the pin um, or you know to extract the key somehow, uh, but at the moment there's no known so at least there you can sort of inspect or understand more parts of you know yes, how, yes. how the wallet works compared mm -hmm. to a ledger where in a ledger sort of everything happens in the dark to call it that well i don't know yeah is that yeah, is I that a good way to put it well, so well with the open dime more parts of it are open and therefore yes. oh sorry what did i say open dime yes, yeah gold card yeah gold card with the gold card more stuff is happening in the open then and therefore, you can sort of verify more of it and see what's, you know, there, there's less room for attack again. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So the cold card uses two chips. One of them is a secure chip, secure element, whatever you want to call it. The other is a regular chip. The secure chip only stores the private keys and the rest is open source. Therefore, there's less, you know, you, you have a better idea of what's actually happening and what's going on. So that's why it sort of sits in between the treasure where everything is open source, uh, but it has this downside that you can extract the keys if you have physical access to the device and you don't use that extra passphrase. And then on the other end, ledger where it's all sort of in a secure element, so you can't extract the keys. But there's the trade-off that you don't really have the same level of knowledge or control of what's what's actually happening. Yeah, to give so, you an idea, um, once you put the pin and the, 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 the private keys are loaded on the non-secure chip in the cold card, technically, at that point, you could try to extract the keys. But, um, you know, if someone takes your cold card from, you know, your... your your desk or something, yeah, usually it's not, you know. They can't get the private key because these are still locked in the yeah, secure chip. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. 
so yeah, that that's sort of the main free. I think um, yeah, sort of the or at least to give an idea of what hardware wallets are and what the different trade-offs are that they make. So now let's get to your hardware wallet, the Jade wallet. Yeah. So what trade-offs does the Jade wallet make? Why did you? Why is there a new hardware wallet needed? Well, um, so let me start from the chip because it, that, you know continuing the conversation we just had. Yes. It has. It doesn't have a secure element. It has a chip with some security features, uh, such as uh, secure boot and flash encryption. Um, and basically, the, the secure boot part means that you cannot flash any firmware on it that is not signed by Blockstream unless you get the you know DIY version. Flashing it basically means copying it. No, no, no. Right. Flashing as in upgrading the firmware, upgrading the software on the device requires a signature that is checked during uh, you know flashing and bootloader. And um, and the flash encryption works by uh, there's there's uh, some infuses infuses are um, basically um, a part of memory of the chip that that uh, once written cannot be rewritten and uh, specifically these infuses are only readable by hardware which means you cannot um, read um, the key that is then used to encrypt the flash which is using in, in, in case of jade is using aes um, Okay, yes, this, this sounds very complicated to me right now. So let's let's break this down. First of all, there's one chip in the Jade, or uh, two. Well, uh, when when there's only one chip when it comes to um, you know running the firmware or touching your private keys and and so on. There's actually a couple more chips. One um, it's used to um, control power to the display or power to um, to the camera and so on. Um, yeah. There's one main chip for security. Yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't have a secure element. That's the yeah. Even even Ledger Nano S, for example, has two chip, but but the second chip is only used to drive the display or the button. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, when I say one chip or two, or in this context, I, I guess I'm talking about the security sensitive yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it has only one chip. One chip. And yeah. is this chip open source or no? Well, no chips are open source at the moment uh, for no hardware. I mean, for all hardware wallets. So there is no open chip. The PCB or the the, the board schematics and, and everything are open source. Um, I would say it's like uh, Trezor in this sense. It's more like Trezor in that sense. Yes. Okay. Um, but but you mentioned there's also something secure. It has some Se more security feature than the ST32 that uh, Trezor uses. And this is uh, it's it's a chip called ESP32. Um, it's uh, produced um, by a company called Espressive in Shanghai, and they use a, a technology stack uh, created by an American company called uh, Cadence. Um, the the architecture is called Extensa. Um, while say Coldcard and and Trezor use uh, an ARM chip. All right, so am I understanding correct that this chip, it's a bit like a secure element, but it uses a different technique in that sense? Well, it, it has uh, some secure, secure element features, but not, all, not as many as, uh, um, especially hardware measures, uh, as say the secure element uh, used by Ledger. It also doesn't have, uh, you know, as many, say, government or military certification as secure elements do. But it does have some, you know, relatively um, strong secure security feature. Right. So in a way, this chip on its own sort of sits in between the security models of Trezor on the one hand and Ledger on the other. Is that yes? The right way to and, look at it. Uh, that, that's argue, just that's just the chip. Yes, and I would argue it's a little bit closer to Ledger than Trezor. I don't know to what extent, but that's that's uh, you know where I think it sits. Right. And then I think there is another, like, there's there's more to this wall. There's another sort of layer of security to sort of cover up for yeah. the fact that it's not as secure so as Ledger in this sense. But by the way, before we continue, do you agree with the yes, summary, yes, Ben? This the, more or less, yeah, I pretty much agree with it, yes. Okay, so yeah. So, so, the, so to sort of compensate for the fact that this chip alone is not as secure as the Ledger secure element, in, at least for these physical attacks, there's another layer of security with the Jade wallet, is yeah, that right? Basically, um, we use all the security features that the chip has, 
but we, we kind of assume that uh, someone will manage to break them or that maybe there's a bug or maybe, you know, it, it, we assume that that wasn't enough. And so we, we created something that um, is kind of novel in, um, in the hardware wallet space. It's something that, um, it's basically an improvement over a protocol that we designed for Green many years ago because you don't really, you cannot really encrypt uh, private keys with a pin because it's trivial to brute force. Let's say you have a four digit pin, that's 10,000 tentatives, right? From zero to 9999, right? And, and so yeah. uh, that's terrible as encryption, right? It's trivial to brute force. And a, a pin is not enough is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A password would work if it's a good password with good entropy and not like in, not easy to find in a dictionary or something. Or even, you know, even a phrase in a book would be bad because it, the people are brute forcing all sorts of things nowadays. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so we created a protocol where um, you, we can actually enforce three tentatives of the pin and, and we, we use strong encryption uh, for the private keys for the mnemonic. We, we use uh, AES-256 um, and there's, a, there's basically a blind pin server. By blind, I mean it doesn't know anything about you. It doesn't know anything about your public keys or even the private keys or um, IPs or anything like that or email or nothing. Um, and, and basically, um, there's a, the, the firmware of, of Jade has the public key of the server embedded, like it's, it's written in the, in, the, in the firmware. And there's a... There is a server somewhere and the server has a public key. And yeah. that is embedded in the firmware of the hardware wallet. Yes, mm -hmm. and uh, the server is open source. You can run your own if you want. Uh, we recently added the functionality so that you can run your own if you don't want to use ours. Um, and we're also currently working on a design where we have multiple servers with redundancies and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, yeah, there's a protocol where um, there's a negotiation, there's a, there's a key, uh, a pass um, sorry, um, an encryption key that's generated um, and you 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 provide a, a pin to the server. The, the the server doesn't actually see your pin. They see a hash of the pin plus some nonce that is kept on on Jade on the hardware. And uh, and if you provide the right one, it will give you uh, this key that it's used to encrypt the private key or the mnemonic. Okay, uh, hang on. Normally, the private keys on a hardware wallet are encrypted. If we even ca can call it that, with a pin. No, but they're not encrypted. Usually, they're not encrypted. Oh, wait, so they're what does the pin do then? The pin, yeah, they're protected by a pin. Oh, but that's not uh, No, encryption. it just checks if the pin is correct, then it will use the private yes. key, or if it's not correct. Basically, there's no point ever encrypting something with, with uh, four digits. Yeah. Right. So, but on your wallet, the keys are encrypted. Not only are they encrypted because we use flash encryption, but then on top of that, we encrypt it again uh, with a key that is kept on a remote server. Uh, which you can run your own, on your own and works with Tor and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that um, instead of you know using a passphrase or 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 you know just a non-encrypted access by a pin, we encrypt with strong encryption, 256 AES. And the key is not on Jade. The key is on a remote server, and the server will only give it to you if you get the pin right. If you get the pin wrong three times, both Jade and the server will delete. Um, Right. So right. So there's an external connection. You have the you need the pin to get the key from the server, which in turn decrypts the keys on your device. Yes. Did I explain it? Yeah. Right. And, and but there's there is no actual connection from J to the to the server. It's just that when you connect it to say your Android or iOS or desktop or laptop or whatever, um, you know the, your software wallet will communicate with the hardware wallet, and there's uh, this bit where um, you know, if you want to enter the pin, there's going to be a message that gets passed to the companion app and then companion app passes it to the server. Now, the companion app is completely blind to this. So it doesn't know whether you're requesting or setting a pin. It doesn't know the, the contents of these messages because um, all the communication between the device and the remote uh, endpoint are encrypted. Before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Magazine is the oldest publication covering Bitcoin, and we've been covering Bitcoin since 2012. Y'all, I'm so proud to be working for Bitcoin Magazine. We spend all day trying to scour the internet for the top news, the top plebs, the top subjects, conversations, everything that has to do with BTC, the asset, BTC, the culture, BTC, the revolution. We are here for it. 
We are here for BTC and BTC only, and we want to give back to the Bitcoin community. Hit us up if you want to contribute. And uh, yeah, go follow us on Twitter. Go uh, subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on YouTube. All of the places that you can find Bitcoin Magazine, we are there. Instagram, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're there. Follow us for the best Bitcoin knowledge. Back to the episode. So in that sense, the extra layer of security, I guess, if I'm if I'm getting it right, is that normally with a physical attack, you get this device in your hand and you can sort of keep spoofing the keys, uh, the pin. I mean, you can keep spoofing the pin or in some way extract it or something. To, to glitch it in some way, then yes. Yeah, uh, especially with the open source types then, right? That That was sort of the problem there. In this case, because you're not 100, well, you're ex- adding an extra layer of security. So in, that, in this case, there's definitely a server that's also required to decrypt it. And if the server sees a pin three times that's not correct, then the keys are deleted. Yeah. And the, the, no, the, the decryption key is deleted. Yeah, yeah encryption, decryption, uh, it's deleted. But also, Jade will, will notice that you got it wrong three times and will also delete everything. Mm-hmm. Just like the other hardware wallet. You could almost see it as a cold card, but instead of NST32, the, the chip has some higher security features like encryption and, 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 uh, and secure boot. And then the other chip, instead of being on the device, is kind of remote. Yeah, pretty much. I think that also cold card has secure boot, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, but anyway, yes, I would say that instead of having the, the the main difference is that instead of having the chip, everything in like on the device, then there is another protection layer which is from a remote uh, place. So the most obvious question that comes to my mind is what happens if the server goes offline? Does that in that case it means your coins are locked, gone? Yeah, so that's that's uh, one of the reasons we have uh, the server being open source and you can run your own, and also the redundancy of the new design that we're having for the blind pin server. But ultimately, you have like the device could break, just like all hardware walls can break, or you know maybe you forget them in the washing machine or something in, in your clothes or whatever. The point is, you need to have a mnemonic backup or you know private key backup, and uh, if the server is down, you can just use the backup. So as long as you have the backup, you're safe, uh, even if the server goes down. Uh, the only difference compared to other hardware wallets is that if this, uh, the server goes down and you don't have a backup, then just the pin will not be enough compared to other hardware wallets where it will be. That's the main difference, I would say. Right. Yeah, that's important to mention because you basically always need a backup for a wallet anyways, for hardware wallets. Mm-hmm. Like you, and, and in this case, you would still have the backup even if the server goes offline. You still have that. Yeah. Right. Yes. You would still By the way, Jade has a, modality, uh, a mode that works without the pin without the pin server, and the mnemonic is uh, remembered as long as the device is uh, powered. As soon as you power it off, it's all gone. So you could have, you know, uh, a situation where you just, uh, even if the server is done, you just enter the, the keys, again, sorry, the, the mnemonics again on the device, and you can use it without the pin server. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so as an emergency situation. Okay, so we've now d- d- covered four hardware wallets. So let me see if I can sort of explain the trade-offs here in, in a decent way. And Ben, please correct me if I'm mm-hmm. making a big sure. uh, mistake here somewhere. All right, so on the one end of the spectrum, we sort of have Trezor, which is the most open source, I would summarize, uh, but it has the problem that the keys can be extracted in case of a physical attack, unless you add uh, a, a passphrase. And on the other end, you the other end of the spectrum, there's Ledger. It has a secure element, so the keys cannot be extracted, but there's some trust involved in a way in what's actually going on on that secure element. Then we discussed the cold card, which has two chips, so it sort of minimizes the secure element thing. It still has some secure elements, but it does the absolute minimum possible, and the rest is used in an open source way. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Jade Wallet, which you just explained, which has sort of one chip that, you know, instead of two, it's one uh, which sort of sits between completely open source and completely secure elements. You think it's closer to secure elements, but then there's an extra layer of security involved with the, uh, there's a signature needed 
from a server in order to actually be able to spend the coins. Um, Did I summarize it okay? Not a signature or like a decryption key, but yeah, more or less. Right. Okay. So these are sort of the main security trade-offs of these four wallets. And there are more wallets, but yeah, we kind of covered the spectrum. And then there are more wallets that have their own trade-offs that sit somewhere in between or their own designs in other ways. Actually, that is a good point to bring up. There are other differences between the hardware wallets, of course. We've now discussed the hardware, uh, the security trade-offs, but let's very briefly maybe mention some of the other um, design choices that could be interesting for people to know about, like how does it connect to your computer, or there there are these kinds of differences as well, right, Lawrence? Yeah, so USB is uh, the, the, the first uh, thing that came out, like with Trezor, right? That's how you connect it to That's your computer. That's how you connect it to your computer or to your phone even, if uh, you have the right cable or adapter. Um, then then um, Ledger came out with the Nano X, which has uh, Bluetooth support. Um, Cold Card came out with uh, SD card support, as well as cable, USB cable. Um, there's some that use QR code. Um, JD is kind of uh, uh, using um, USB as well as Bluetooth as well as QR codes. QR codes are not enabled yet in the firmware. Um, but, yeah, but it actually has like a camera thing, right? To yeah, scan it has, QR it has codes, a camera, so. um, uh, which we do use internally for you know debugging and, and testing, like loading the mnemonics faster than having to type them in, for example. Um, but that's only for development uh, at the moment. And... Uh, and actually, this affects also trade-offs in terms of security because everything with radio, it's uh, easier to attack remotely, um, which is why we have uh, like two firmware variants, one with BLE support and one without, and it's not even compiled in and it's completely disabled. Um, yeah, so right. there's various that, ways. That, that this is, you mentioned that there's some security trade-off maybe involved, but this is mostly about usability, this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, yes. For example, on iOS, there's no way other than uh, Bluetooth or maybe QR codes to, to use iOS. And so if you want to use iOS, Bluetooth is kind of like the way forward. Right. Okay, then I want to ask one last question because we're going to have to, the podcast has been getting pretty long and also pretty heavy, I think. You have a intense stare, Lawrence. You're, 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 you're zoned in. One last question. Okay, the, the concept of hardware wallets itself. There is the argument that the whole concept of hardware wallets itself is not a really good idea. Exactly because now you have a device that's expi- explicitly intended to store your private keys and that everyone knows is explicitly intended to store your private keys. So it, that makes it sort of a target. So that can be a supply chain attack kind of thing, or maybe other types of that. Even the physical attack, it's, you know, if you see a treasure laying around, you know what it is. And mm-hmm. so you know that, that that's something that's probably storing private keys. Well, if you just use a wallet, sorry, a, a phone that you, you know, you buy a cheap phone, you do nothing else with it, you just use it as, as, uh, as a mm-hmm. hardware wallet, then, no one will know that there's bitcoins on it, presumably, and there's also much smaller risk for supply chain attacks. What do, what do you think about this argument, sort of against hardware wallets in general? Well, it, you're right. I mean, um, there was also that ledger leak. Of, of that's also the, that's yeah, also a good example, yeah. Yes. But um, so I, I agree in principle that you avoid the entire supply chain attack with a laptop or a phone. It's never going to be as secure as a hardware wallet. Even you know the worst hardware wallet is much better than than a phone or, or a laptop in terms of security. Do you agree with this, Ben? Is this yes. So it's different uh, trade-offs in terms of security. So in in this sense, it's a supply chain risk versus uh, physical risks and uh, etc. Um, but okay. also uh, there is the option of DIY hardware wallets, uh, like even Yes. Yeah. So there's um there's. You can basically flash the same firmware that runs on Jade on at least three or four different, uh, like, um, um, off-the-shelf boards that you can buy on Amazon or AliExpress, like M5 Stack or uh, the T-Display, and there's there's a couple more. And also there's a, a DIY Spectre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is the Spectre DIY, which is uh, a more expensive one, but uh, is 
although supporting QR codes, communication, and is completely off the shelf. Uh, so there are diff very different trade-offs, uh, and you could use a hard wallet, which is DIY, uh, in order to uh, avoid supply chain risk, but then you have to do a bit more work uh, in like assembling and flashing firmware and stuff like that. So it, it's always trade-off between some things, either convenience and usability and security, physical security, uh, supply chain risks, all of that needs to be taken into account. Um, I think for uh, most uh, users, using a hardware wallet still makes it the best trade-off, uh, but it can very much depend uh, personally on your personal skills, etc. Yeah, and just to finish, I would say that the most secure thing I believe out there right now would be to use all of these hardware wallets in multisig together, because then even if one of these manufacturers is bad, or even if uh, you get a supply chain attack on mm -hmm. you know, receiving one of those, the fact that you have so many different hardware wallets from different brands and different teams and so on um, means that one single one cannot compromise you. Whatever is your K of N, multi-sig, you know. Yeah, you can buy like five hardware wallets from different manufacturers and make a three out of five setup yeah, or something exactly. like that. And then someone will need to compromise three hardware wallets before they can get your funds. Exactly. And this this is possible on Spectre, yes. right? So Spectre is, is used for that. Yes, it allows you both single-sig but also multi-sig with all of these hardware wallets uh, in any combination you would like. So it's uh, a different, a very different security model um, compared to just trusting a single hardware wallet. Right. Well, interesting. I actually learned something during the recording of this podcast. You should. I, I always pretend to ask questions that I already know, but this time I actually learned something. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Well, thanks, Lawrence. Ben, thanks a lot for helping me out here. For sure. And for. Uh, Keeping Lawrence honest. <laughs> this was the Fan William Shirts NATO. Thank you for listening. <laughs>